What up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Open Discussions. I am your host and spiritual homie, Roshan Davis, coming to you live from UHHQ, where we blend creativity, collaboration, community, and commerce together to make some unforgettable experiences. In this episode, I sat down with Megan Van Voorhis, the creative economy manager for the city of Sacramento, and we look at what it means to be well through the lens of something that I hold near and dear to my heart, the creative industry. She drops this one. Healing is a part of wellness. Conversations are a part of wellness. Hashtag thanks, homie, for that one. Anyway, open your ears, open your mind, and let's get into another episode of Open Discussions with the Spiritual Homie. Yes, yes, yes. Hello, hello, and welcome, welcome. Um, today, we have an exciting conversation, everyone. Diddy, uh, she is the creative economy manager of the entire city, which is a big job that she landed in in the middle of a pandemic, which we're going to get into, right? Um, and I just want to start by saying welcome, Megan. Welcome to the to the podcast. I want to start with a story about you, right? So <laughs> she's like, what is this going to be? Um, uh, the story from my perspective is I kept hearing about this Megan woman being like this amazing person that was going like that had just landed here in the middle of a pandemic to be the creative economy manager and during the time you know i'm talking to a lot of like the creative individuals that are here in the city and every one of them kept saying like yo you got to talk to megan have you met megan yet and i was like no but you're like the third person to say that and it's like okay cool like i'm gonna i'm gonna like reach out and then it's like, yo, you got to talk to Megan. Like, we've been having the same conversation. It's like, oh, yes. Okay, cool. I got I to gotta reach out to her. And then it was after probably about the eighth person that I was like, yo, I just really got to reach out to Megan. And, and, you know, reached out and just said, hey. And I think it was because we were working on that project, the SAC 2021. Um, and so we had been working on this project together and was like, okay, now this is that chance for me to like reach out. And so I sent her a little side email. I'm like, I've heard that I need to reach out to you multiple times. And now that we're on this project, I'd love to just spend some time and just introduce myself. If this was like the regular time, we I'd invite you to coffee, but let's do a Zoom. And on that Zoom call, just immediately, like immediately jailed, immediately clicked with her. Um, her story was just resonated and just yeah like i really needed to talk to you just on <laughs> just on those levels of just like i know i'm not crazy with all of these ideas and you know just having you being the seat that you're in i'm excited to like see what you bring to it because 
the stories, the, the visions, and all of those things from a lot of the creatives here in the city match what you're trying to do, right? So that's my story of you. It's just like this, this person that like I needed to talk to and signs that kept telling me I needed to talk to you. And then that validation from when we talked was just like, yeah, yeah, that's it. So I just want to say that welcome to the to the podcast. What would your story be like? What like how did you get started? That's that's how you started in my life. But how did you get started in general? So my story really largely began in Flint, Michigan, and I'm a, a former dancer that studied at Ohio State and then um, found my way in that process to say that I didn't want to be a dancer anymore because I was around these just amazing, talented people that I was worried about, you know, what was their life going to be like? And I just, I'd had this sort of idea that I knew that they needed support and that I was probably best suited to do that. You know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed dancing. I enjoyed that experience there. And at the same time, when you see the, the kind of talent and you go, how are they going to continue to contribute? You know, what is my role in that? And so it shifted. I did, I did finish at OSU and, um, and I moved to Chicago and got involved in the theater scene, and I enjoyed it. But it was all sort of still there in the background. And uh, and then that took me back to Cleveland, and because um, I'd been in Ohio, I was in Chicago. I went to get my master's, and I said, "No, this is the real deal. Like the one thing I can't do, the one one thing I really need is to um, to bolster my skill set so I can help these people." So. It's a mission thing, you know, it's a family thing. My, my family was all about service growing up. Like I just, it was just a part of who we were as a family. My brother is a musician and a music educator. And um, it's, just who, it's just who we are. So for me, that's how I got into all of this. And when I was at um, my uh, graduate school at Case, I ended up, Finding, I was, it's like total right place, right time. Like Cleveland had been doing this cultural planning process. They had just come out of it. I was getting my MBA and I wanted to do this service to the field. And this organization called, then called Community Partnership for Arts and Culture was developing. And I went in and I got this fellowship. And then after the fellowship was over, I was like, just can I have a job? <laughs> and then 17 years later, I'm leading nice. the organization. And that was just, it was an amazing trajectory doing so much stuff. And for me, all along the way, it's just a passion for the work that creatives do and really learning so much. I mean, I learned something new every day. I learned something from you in that first conversation and it was so great, similar, likewise, awesome. Um, Cause you look at creative people like you and others and you go, you want them to thrive because our mm -hmm. lives are just so much better. So how did you get started here in Sacramento? So it's, it's fascinating because part was like, it's a really long process. Like I applied for the job in January and then I was on the ground officially in September. But a lot of it was me sort of navigating the, the landscape. Most of the work actually was just getting to know the city. So my colleagues, like 
inside government. Who are they? What are they trying to do? And I've met this amazing group of people. And then I got this, you know, sort of like this set of people who would then introduce me to other people along the way, right? Because we're in a pandemic. No one can meet personally. We're all doing this. We're all having these conversations online. And so much of what we do in the arts is about experience. And so, you know, I've gone deep. I've honestly, I've gone deep based on recommendations over time and sort of trying to build those relationships, knowing that those relationships will lead me to other and new people. And um, that has just really served me really, really well, I think, over time in terms of getting to know people. And, and I think this is just an amazing place. Like, I, I'm always looking for the undiscovered stuff. And I'm, I'm excited to, to learn more and expect, like, there's so much here to really, to really uncover. So that's, that's a process. It's an ongoing process for me. Just getting to know my team, getting to know folks out in the community, getting to know the city, trying to understand what everybody's aspirations are, and then how I can use just the experience that I had over the years to make the connections, to make the case, bring people together, to provide the vehicles and the structures to help people do what they need to, they need to do. I, I love creativity and I love experiencing it. Um, I don't produce it anymore. My job isn't to do that. My job is to build a climate where it can be successful. So I, you know, it's all of those other factors, the behind the scenes stuff that makes it possible for you to have the resources to do the kinds of things that you're doing through like this podcast and others to have the same thing. So I want people to value creativity as a part of their lives and, um, and so that that value then translates into investment and resources and support mm, and connections. That's so important, you know, and that's a lot of where I want our conversation to go is in this idea of a well creative economy, right? Um, what do you feel like that looks like, you know, in this sense of wellness, you know, like what does a, a well creative economy look like to you and what can we produce in a well creative economy? Well, there's a number of factors. I think one of the, the scene itself, there's an opportunity for some healing. In my, I'll tell you this story because I know, I know people who know this story. So I, I came into town in August. I was looking for an apartment. And I had taken a photo of a mural that I saw. And I tweeted it and I said, who's responsible for it? <laughs> and it had ignited like a... Uh, a firestorm on Twitter, conversations on Facebook, who is this person, what does she want, you know, like, these are all of these issues, right? And it was like, in that one moment, in that one thing, I had somehow, like, gotten right to the heart of the center of an issue in yeah. Sacramento's creative community, right? Just by something so simple as posting that. And for me, you know, that said, this is a community that needs to heal. And, and there are things here that need to be done on that. So I think that recognizing that, surfacing what those things are, talking about them, and being able to have healthy conversations about things that are controversial or things that are, that are bugging people are really important. That is the stuff that starts to set the groundwork for a healthy community. It means, it means touching on topics that people don't wanna, they don't wanna touch. Who gets to create and who doesn't get to create? 
who gets the resources and who doesn't get the resources and why. And, you know, accepting and recognizing that it's an ecosystem and that we need, and everybody, there's, there are all sorts of parts of the ecosystem and everybody brings a certain value. And so for me, when we get to that place, when everybody sort of recognizes the, the contributions of, of others to the broader thing that we're all trying to achieve, that's when we know it's healthy. That's when we, when we accept or we recognize that when people come in from the outside, that we all grow, that it's not a threat. In fact, it's actually a way for us to grow. That's a moment that we say, this is a healthy sector. And, um, and I'm going to be honest, a lot of it comes down to resources. So a, a, a creative community that feels it's been starved in some way, that's, those are the things that sort of facilitate in the underground, whether people don't have a full understanding of the value that you bring, if, if you don't feel you have the resources that you need. All of those things create these like underpinnings that are really unhealthy. So our job is to make sure that people do understand what the value of what we do is. It's to make sure that that value translates into investment in the places that need to be invested in um, and that the story is told so that you can, you can realize those results. So, I mean, that for me, right? We've got a healthy sector when, when other sectors look to us as being a driving force in them achieving their objectives, in addition to us achieving our own, that they fully get it, that they understand that an investment in someone who's doing spoken word is actually building the foundation for an innovation economy. Like, that's where we want to be. That's lovely. I mean, as you're saying that, you know, I'm just, you know, thinking about all of those little pieces because, you know, it's, from a perspective of a creative here, it's like, yeah, there's been a lot of those conversations that I've been a part of or like those experiences that I've been a part of that then just echo throughout the community. And it, it's you're right, like we have to heal from those things and continue to heal from those things in order for everything to just truly be well. But it does come down to like resources and I like how you're saying like this larger ecosystem because, you know, it's not on just one person. It's like we all have to work together in all the different sectors from government all the way down to like just the individual sole proprietor that who's out, you know, making art or whatever it is. It's all it all works together for it all to work. So that's that's a beautiful kind of statement there what about personally like what is what is your personal wellness journey look like what does that mean to you well i was telling you ahead of this that i'd had a conversation i was texting with my husband i said i'm gonna do this podcast on wellness ironic right and um but for me i i think that it's it's important to be honest about it it's a cycle so for me it's like Periods of determination, followed by slips and failures, followed by this like forgiveness to myself and accepting, you know, accepting, <laughs> followed by determination again. It's like this. So 
it's a practice. Like when I moved to Sacramento in September, I said, this is going to be a moment. And I, I knew that at that moment that I actually needed to heal um, from some things that were happening. And I really wanted to focus on me. It was because I moved by myself. Um, my family was still in, in Cleveland at the time. And it was very much like, you need to, there's something in here that you need to heal. And it means putting yourself first, like the whole move. Like I had been in a community, in a creative community of a lot of people that I knew for almost 20 years. And so you're just ripping yourself up. You're going to this other place. You're, you're going to meet all sorts of other people. You're going to be incredibly vulnerable at the same time. But you want to grow professionally and you want to... To, you, I, I remember saying that when I made the decision, it was about me wanting to see what I was made of. You know, not, not totally relying on the connections. What could happen when I did that? But I also knew when I was here that I needed to focus on me, that I needed to, you know, I started doing yoga on a daily basis. And I started to really kind of focus on trying to get through some of those other things that are, that are bad for you. Overthinking, worry, um, and really try to face some of that stuff and try to build some new practices. And so for me, I, you know, I had previous three years, I had been doing acupuncture on a monthly basis. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, coming here, I still, have to, I still have to get my, I gotta get back in the groove on that front. But I found that to be um, really helpful over time to just center me. And, and I had a really great acupuncturist in Cleveland. Like, no joke, when you've got a great acupuncturist, you come out of there feeling really well. Like, I can say I'm feeling this way, and they'll be like, oh, you know what? Yep, that's that point right there. That's that worry point, you know? And you get it, and it really makes a difference. So for me, it is about self-care. It's about self-care physically. It's about self-care emotionally. And... Um, creating the space and trying to trying to be more present, that practice is still, it's a process for me. Like mm -hmm. I don't have it, that's, it's not something that I've mastered by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still something that I'm working very much on. I have so many questions for you right now. Um, acupuncture, that was your thing? Just, just tell Still me about is. it. I've, I've never done it. So I'm like, ooh. Like what, go through the process. Like what is, what is, why is that your thing? What does it bring up? What does it release? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I started doing it years ago when I was stressed. Had a lot of, and that stress and anxiety will often, and depression will often play out in your digestive system. So I had gone to a doctor that was, I'd, I'd, I'd done all of this, like this testing. I'm like, there's something wrong. And they, you know, they do all these crazy tests, medical tests, nothing happens. It's like, this is just not good. And my, my husband eventually says, you know, maybe you should go to the Center for Integrative Medicine. And this is the Cleveland Clinic. So I went over there. And there was the first time that someone said, you know, you, you've got some mild depression, I think. And you've got you know, you've got these other issues, like what's your, what did you eat in the last period of time? It was like the first time that anyone had asked me those kinds of questions without like, well, let's do X, Y, and Z tests. And she was the one, she was a wonderful doctor. She passed away, actually. She said, you know, here's what we're going to do. You know, you're going to get you the right kind of stuff going into your system. And, you know, anti-inflammatory diet. And again, I've fallen up the, the, 
the bandwagon on that, but it made a huge difference at the time. But then it introduced also acupuncture in the mix, just from a stress perspective. So we got, you know, I, so she, she got going, and over time, I found a really great acupuncturist. For like three years, I was working with. I would go every month, and we just we'd sit, we'd talk about what's happening. I'd tell her what was on the mind. Everything from like worry. I'm not sleeping. I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I have quick thoughts in the middle of the night. Like all those things that are happening, and there's you know in your body. I mean, this is this is ancient stuff, right? This is the real deal. That there are places on your body that sort of like get stuck up in this area, and so what they do is they you know they do they identify a series of points, and the, these they were like little thumbtacks almost is the one that she would use, and she would just put them on at whatever the points are, and then she would feel it out and say, where do you feel it? You know, where's the pain? And then I would feel it, and then that's where it would go. And then over time, then I would sit there and cook, as we like to call it. <laughs> so I would cook, and then, um, you know, about 30 minutes later, I'd come out, and then all of a sudden, you just sort of feel released. And so it's not... It's a practice. It's not something that is just like one time and that's it. It's the same thing as everything else. Like for me, it was, I went once a month and over time, certain things were changing and I was attention. So if I would say I'm overthinking a lot, there's a point for that. And so that's how we would do it. And so, you know, that's why it's a little bit challenging for me not to have like quite established that relationship here in the same way yet. Um, I will. Just this, this, we'll use this, we'll use this podcast as my reminder. Exactly. <laughs> to be determined. But that's, that's how it works. And, you know, my husband has done it too. He's done it for pain and it does, it does really work. And so I'm, I'm a huge fan. And I just want anybody who's listening right now, who's an acupuncturist to know Megan's here. She needs someone. And then also, I would love to just try it. So maybe we could go, I don't know. I don't know how it works. But, you know, that's part of this this whole thing for us in, in this wellness space and moving more into it. It's like to try those things that work for other people, you know. And for me, like floating and doing the sensory deprivation tank, that's my thing, you know. Like I can go in 60 minutes, shut off all the lights, float in some salt water, and I come out a whole different person. But that's just one thing on this whole journey to wellness that, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. And I've seen acupuncturists. I've seen, like, pictures, but I've never experienced that. Would love to do that. So if anyone's listening in the Sacramento area right now, like, both of us, you have two, you have two <laughs> clients here. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so the other part, you know, and, and you said a little bit about it, is like this process of wellness, you know, um, kind of speak to that in this sense. And I guess I'll kind of transition that too. of, you know, a lot of the people who are listening, the one thing that we do is like, what's that one piece of advice that you would give someone that you heard that truly changed your life, right? And so I want to ask you that, but kind of back into that in this way of the process, right? Because I love the fact that you're talking about the process and the process isn't always squeaky clean, right? Um, so yeah, if you could talk to a little bit about that and then also like what's that one tip that you've heard that really changed your life and, and put you on the, on the right path to really understand that? 
So I have a family member that is very close to me who has struggled with bipolar disorder. Although he, it's, it's fascinating. He, he's like, I'm, I'm, on, I'm cured now. He's got it. And he made some changes for himself and really focused. He's a you know, Buddhist practice and um, you know, really got rid of a lot of you know, bad things. There's no alcohol. There's no caffeine. As a part of realizing how important it was to, you know, to manage you know, all of those dynamics. And he's done a lot of study, honestly, of, of this stuff. And I would remember when I would reach out to him, I'd freak out, and I was like, unpacking certain things. And I would be like, OK, you know, I'm working on this grounding technique. And he'd been doing this stuff for years, right? So he's managed it. He's figured it out. It's a practice for him. And he would say to me that you know, the moment of crisis is not going to be that moment when if you haven't built the practice, you're not going to be able to call upon it in that moment, right? So, so he would say things. He's like, yeah, I think that, you know, like even the acupuncture is good or whatnot. He was, but he would say, you always have to just return to the breath and, and, that, you, and that that needs to be a part of your practice. And, you know, he's my, one of my most important advisors on this stuff. Um, I trust him so much and you know we would talk about these things that were happening and he would be sharing what he was reading and he you know and we would talk about that and so for me I think that that's that's really important because there's a tendency for us to say okay I'm going to use this moment of, of crisis and I'm going to I'm going to use these grounding techniques and I'm going to try to but it, it's extremely difficult to do that and so the ongoing management of your health becomes really important and I, I mean as I'll say I'm not I don't haven't won it I, w I went through a really difficult time in the period before I came to Sacramento, um, partly because my work, and this is one of the things that I'll say to other people, is to find work that has meaning for you. Because on the really good days, it's amazing. But on the really shitty days, you know it's worth it. And so, but when you're a person like myself, whose entire work is the mission, it's the life, right? It's a calling. It's about passion. It's about perseverance. If that gets out of balance, it can be a problem. And so, and I was experiencing a lot of that. Like I devoted so much to that work in, in that place. And then it started to get out of balance, partly for reasons that were not, really had nothing to do with me. Um, and yet, because I take it so seriously, it became, it started to get out of balance and that became the moment of crisis. Those are, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the practice again, the breath, all of that stuff becomes really, really important. And so I think that that's still something that's a work in progress for me, particularly for people that whose work is a calling. It's not, the job doesn't end just because your work hours are over. I mean, I'll say in the period of the pandemic, when I was, when this went down and include, you know, I was in Cleveland in March, and I started working many, many more hours on behalf of the field because that's what needed. And we were all working remote, which means there's no boundaries at all between your work and your personal life. So for a person like me, who is already all like, my job is this mission. Like even my family will say, like my son, those who like sons, everybody kind of watches me when I'm working. There could be all sorts of stuff going on around me, and I am so focused on what I'm doing that I'm like, oh, I missed that. <laughs>
<laughs> so it's, I think that those pieces of the puzzle, they're just for me, um, I am probably pretty vulnerable because of that mentality and because of that work. And I think I inherited it, I swear, because I look at my dad and he's like exactly the same way, you know. I'm like, you got to relax. He's like, no, I got to do this thing. I got to do this other thing. You know, so it's a, um, I think that it's a work in progress, but I continue to rely on my trusted confidants and, um, and also to remember to have those, gen they're gentle reminders. They're not, it's not judgment. It's just a reminder that always return to the breath. It's the one thing you always have with you. And he, he's right. Because like, I might not be able to get into that acupuncture appointment or you might not be able to go to that float spa. And, um, but the breath is always with you. So true. That's so true. S such a simple thing too, right? To like practice to put in place, to remember, but such a simple thing that we all forget too, because it's so natural for us, right? Like, yeah, like even me, like, you know, I'm deep into meditation, deep into breath, but you just hearing you say it is just like, yeah, like, duh, you know? But when you're in the middle of it and you're not thinking about it, it's like, can flow over your head or you're like you're saying you're in this crisis mode and it's like oh no no just simple return to your breath it's always there for you when you need it so that's that's lovely and that's a that's one of those ones you know as I've been talking to different people you know everybody has where they are on their journey some people are further ahead than other people and so I always try and like have these moments of clarity where doesn't matter where you are on that journey, you can pick up that, that nugget. And that was it, you know, it's just like that simple. Yeah. I'm over here taking notes. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some lessons um, in 2020. Um, yeah, like 2020 was, was full of lessons for some folks. Like, what do you think 2020 taught you about truth? And what do you think 2020 taught you about deception? either personally or on this idea of community wellness? You know, I thought about it when I, when I was prepping for this, and I, it's when you asked it to me a little bit before, I started to think about it differently, and it's really personal, actually, about what 2020 was, because it was just such a year of me tearing myself out and coming to terms with something. And... Um, You've heard about thought distortions mm -hmm. yep. and what our minds do to experiences or, or whatnot. And you start to have a certain idea about yourself. And I'll tell you that what 2020 taught me was that I had developed some, some thought distortions about myself, about my abilities as a result of the experiences that were like way off base. And um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the kudos on this one. The long the long process with Sacramento and having met the people that um, that interview process for me, believe it or not, was the thing that um, reminded me of who I was. So it didn't matter. Everybody around me who would say, "Well, you're just I don't think you're seeing this right, Megan." I think that you are way more capable than maybe you might be making yourself out to be or whatever. 
it was like the process here where it was like, oh yeah, right? I had forgotten something or somewhere along the way I had started to establish these thoughts about myself, about my capabilities that were just not right. So there were, you know, thought distortions. Those are, that's deception, it's lies. You've, your mind has just twisted what actually happened. So it's, um, for me, that's what I learned about myself and, you know, the ability to sort of recognize it and to also recognize just, um, you know, you know, triggers. I used to have, like, when something was going on and I didn't, I really feel, I didn't have the language for this, but my, I talked to people, my arms will burn. Mm. They feel like they're burning. Like there's a, there's a response, right, that you have in your, in your body. And, um, you're, you're unpacking, like, when was the first time you experienced that? And you're trying to go back in your history to say, when was that? Because then what's happening is every time you experience that same thing again, you're, you're revisiting that trauma, right? And um, so for me, just being able to talk about that in those terms and understand and recognize what was happening at, what was driving it, and how that related to those thought distortions. Like the whole, I don't know if you've, have you, have you talked to people about the I'm not good enough? Oh yeah, imposter thing? syndrome. Mm-hmm. And not I'm good not enough. good enough, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like what, what really drives that? And then, you, you know, you're having a conversation or something happens and all of a sudden you trigger that and it's like, uh, I'm not good enough. It's, it's really, those things are really very powerful. Mm-hmm. So for me, last year, 2020 was the moment of both the recognizing that, the ability to understand how that was playing out with me personally and then also to say okay you are highly capable and you can go wherever you want yeah it doesn't mean that it's not still there i mean there's things happen and you know you sort of recognize that that's what's going on but there's sort of like a process of healing on that front mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's such a a good thing to recognize in yourself you know and constantly work on when it comes up right it's like oh, okay like yeah this is just a lie this is a deception this is my mind playing tricks on me and i'm actually better than this or you know i can push past this and yeah i think for a lot of us in 2020 especially on the creative side like we had to go through that right and and really really deal with that because we're used to being in these spaces where we are out and we can perform in whatever way it is, you know, or, or create in whatever way it is. And then <laughs> the world shuts down, it feels like, and then it's like, no, you can't do that anymore. Or you, you have to do that differently, you know? And so then it's like, oh, well, wait, what does that mean? for this piece and it's like nope actually you can still be creative you just got to maybe do it in a different way and but if you're not looking at it in that way then it does seem like just this lie you know when the truth is really like it's in here it's like in your head you know and creative creative practice is incredibly personal mm-hmm. and that is um I think it's similar to me on the like mission and the calling front and that for a lot of people, their creative practice is, is also their calling. And, um, and so, so for many creatives that I know, 
yes, many pushed through, others really struggled, you know, from a mental health perspective, because all of a sudden that thing that, you know, was their thing, all of a sudden, gone. like, I have to just, I have to just deal with that. And, and for many, in the reality, right, no resources, how am I going to pay the rent? What am I going to do? And what does it mean if I just have to pick up a job somewhere else? Um, I know a guy, he's a hip hop artist in Cleveland, and um, he just had to take a job. And it was awful, and then eventually he ended up finding his way into another job. And, and, and so that job, I said, so is that going to make the stories from that? I imagine you have stories from that job. <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah. So, you know. I love that. Well, let me ask you this. Um, when we're talking about kind of this, and I, and I like the, the way you're framing it, is like from a creative standpoint, that idea of wellness and pandemic happening, and then we're in this space where we can't do that thing that we were, were known for or just, you know, we're eating off of or whatever you, you want to call it, like where do you think the misrepresentation of wellness came in or the representation of wellness came in on the creative side? Do you feel like there was a good good platform for that to be spoken to? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, or are we still in it? I think a couple of things, you know, the community has been starved to be honest, of creative activity, like the people that interact with us for a long time. And so we've been watching that data, like some people just, just I can't even bother to look at this until we've got a vaccine. And now you look at data that says, I can't imagine interacting online with creative activity, like they're dying to get back, right? So um, I think it's start there because it, it, it talks about our definition of wellness and really thinking about how do you incorporate the arts as a part of health. And um, I, I mean, I had been doing this work in Cleveland, I've been studying it since about 2012 and getting connected with a whole national group of people who were interesting in looking at you know the role of arts and health. And I have a very close friend who I worked with um, at the county hospital system in, in Cleveland who was doing a lot of this arts and public health stuff, right? Like the county hospital, it's a safety net hospital. You know, I mean, they're the ones that are dealing with, you know, the, the significant levels of trauma, right? They're the ones that are dealing with the gunshot wounds. They're the ones that are, you know, like there's all of these things that are sort of, they're facing them. And yet there's an opportunity really to look at the role of arts in public health and population health and how we think about defining that. And in some places um, really have embraced that and in other places it feels relatively new, like, whoa, well, what do the arts contribute to mental health? Well, actually, you know, I, I had the conversation yesterday. I said, you know, for someone who's maybe experienced trauma, arts therapists will say the bridge is out, right? Like they can't get across whatever it was. But the engagement of the, of the creative side of you, like just the opportunity to engage in some sort of expressive arts therapy, often creates a new bridge mm. to get out. And there's good data to support that. And you know, when you look at um, just the the rates, the effects in our neighborhoods, 
you know, the quality of life, all of those disparities that exist out there, and um, those places also being, you know, starved of creative activity sometimes too, that, um, that that means that that's actually something that's uh, keeping people from, from broader wellness. So I, it's my hope, actually, even as we do our work here, and is both to uncover there are creative people here that do get the arts and health connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like yourself, clearly, but others too, and really helping to build awareness and understanding about um, what those connections really are. Because we've started, I feel like, in, in society to specialize so much we parse out everything that we don't consider it as whole beings anymore. And so, you know, creativity is something that's innately human. It's just something that we do and and how do we how do we create that as a part of saying this is a, this is what creates a healthy community, that we can actually have better public health outcomes if we were to integrate the arts as part of that. Right? And there's this huge like nationally, lots of discussion right now about how do we get artists back to work? How do we how do we invest in them? And there are contributions that they can make, you know, these WPA-style things where we say, okay, there's serious problem with vaccine uptake. You know, if we want to get herd immunity, people are now saying you have to get 90% and look at where we're at right now. How do we do this? And yet that's the moment that the arts can play a role, right? Because we can do things, we can touch on topics that maybe are difficult for other people to touch on in a different kind of way, engage in a different way. Um, that can really move the needle. So I think the more that we can expand our definition of what contributes to health, I mean, even you think about like um, doctors in, in healthcare facilities, the nurses that are just so overworked, what does it mean to have creative activity and performance, right? Let's put creative workers back to work in hospitals for nurses that are exhausted. You know, let's put people into work into, um, you know, senior citizen homes, right, where both the senior citizens could benefit from that because they've experienced social isolation. And social isolation is a huge problem in lifespans, right? Like if you've experienced that, it reduces the amount of your, it reduces your lifespan. And so, um, and there's data that suggests that, right? So the more that we weave into the arts is a part of that, it's a, it's a core part of recovery. So I think um, there's some people that might challenge the idea, like, well, we want to just be like artists, we just want to fund us to be artists. And I'm like, yeah, but yes. And, right, you do this. I'm not making this up. You're already doing this. I'm just helping to people to understand that you are doing it and what you have to offer. So um, I think that that wider definition of what contributes to wellness and the role that the arts play um, and creative activity plays in that is really important. And, and now, um, in a year when people have been starved from it and looking at screens, like, all the time, I think maybe they may have a better... Um, recognition of what they need yeah and so that's that moment right where then we need to like we need to invest but also recognize that just as you're getting ready to want to come back out and experience the people in the creative sector have been struggling for a year (laughs) and you're gonna have to you know you have to be patient which means we have to make sure that the the resources are there so that they can contribute in the way that you want so true. <laughs> so true. We're having those conversations here at UH, you know, it's just like, as much as we want to get back to doing what people know us for, it's like, some of the things that we were doing just don't make sense. 
because they don't make enough to sustain us because we've had to sustain for this last 13, 14 months now, you know? And so that's like a tough conversation to have internally where it's like that thing that people knew us for, we might not be able to go back to. And then where do we go or what do we do? You know? So yeah, those are those conversations. Love it. Love it. So we got to wrap up, but where can people find you? Where, where's that place? Drop, drop your, drop where people can connect with you, find you, follow what you're doing, kind of contribute to, to the work that you're going to continuously do. So the first thing that I'll say is definitely reach out. Um, my contact information is on the arts.cityofsacramento.org website. Um, I'm a pretty, you know, open, you want to talk, let's talk. Um, I'm also in government and also moving forward, so, so just be patient with me is usually my request, and don't hesitate to uh, give a couple of prompts if you need to, because <laughs> <laughs> I've got some emails that are sitting back out there, so for some of those folks who might be saying, yeah, I reached out to Megan and it's been a month, <laughs> I promise. Just I promise breathe. I never, I never forget. Just take a breath. Just breathe. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then, you know, I've, I'm on Twitter. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably much more active on LinkedIn, to be honest, in terms of stuff. And, and um, I'm just going to say it. I'm not super active on Facebook. And I know a lot of creatives really are. And not, I, um, I think that that might be a separate conversation you might want to have about social media and wellness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but That's I'm always I'm I'm always there, always up for a conversation, um, and just I just want to learn more. I'm ravenous to learn more about this creative sector and, and the kinds of activity that are happening here because the more I know about it, the better story I can tell. Gotcha. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate having the conversation. I appreciate you sharing um, just from your perspective, um, and I'm I'm thinking we're gonna probably figure out some acupuncture activity <laughs> i've been wanting to do yeah, this whole, it's a good whole thing yeah yeah i've been wanting to do this whole thing of like going to try new things and then doing it and and just sharing it out i might have to i might have to loop you in when i go do the acupuncture one <laughs> definitely definitely all right well have a good day good talking to you <laughs> Thank you. All right, peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Open Discussions with the Spiritual Homie. We would like to thank our editor, Noah Davis, our production manager, Joel Robertson, marketing and graphics designer, Ian Hops, content curator, Ben Ismail, technical consultant, Jared Fox, our scheduling coordinator, Holly DeFazio, and our host, Rashawn Davis. Thank you.